Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, presented by Living Stream Ministry. These life studies explore every book in the Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. These messages unveil how the scriptures can be living and more than mere doctrine to man. Today, we bring you recorded excerpts of Witness Lee's original speaking, along with some of our own comments and thoughts. If you have questions, please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. Leviticus 24 is a chapter talking about the lampstand and the showbread table within the tabernacle. It goes into great detail regarding how the priests were to attend to the care and arrangement of these two important items in the tabernacle. In order to serve God as priests, we also need to take care of two things, the divine light and the divine food. How the Levitical priests conducted themselves shows us a great deal about how we can have a deeper and more meaningful experience of Christ in this age. Ron Kangas is here to help us with another look at the book of Leviticus. Ron, appreciate your being here today. We're going to grab sort of a little here and a little there today and have a program that will serve as an insert, really, between a couple of big topics we've been looking at in Leviticus. But there is an association between these two portions, one from chapter 22 and one from 24. The common denominator today is going to be that both of these sections are very much related to our experience of Christ. And as I said, we want to look at a few details from these two chapters and see more of the pictures that have been opening up so many aspects in our experience of the Lord. Let's start in chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Then Jehovah spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Aaron and his sons to be careful with the holy things of the children of Israel, which they sanctified to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. I am Jehovah. Ron, this book, uh, Leviticus, speaks a lot about holy things. We know that Leviticus is a book full of pictures that typify genuine aspects of our Christian life. So why don't we open with this? What do these holy things signify? Let's consider the word in Luke 24, where we're told that the Lord opened the minds of the disciples and opened up the scriptures to show them the things concerning himself. And those scriptures surely included the Pentateuch, and for our purpose, we would emphasize Leviticus. The Lord himself took the lead to reveal to us that so many of the positive things in Leviticus, the holy things, portray him, their types or pictures or symbols of himself. The word that we just read uses the expression holy things because in the Old Testament there were these physical objects. There was the table with the bread of the presence there was the lampstand, there was the incense, there were many other things. But in the fulfillment of these types, we need to realize that Christ himself is the reality of all these positive things. God does not give us spiritual things as if they existed in themselves apart from himself. Rather, God gives us Christ. All the holy things 
are aspects of the all-inclusive Christ for our experience and our enjoyment. And this experience and enjoyment of Christ is the privilege of the priests serving God in his dwelling place, in his abode with his people. It's understandable, then, that the Lord would caution us and instruct us to be careful, to be watchful, to be diligent in handling anything related to Christ so that we would not offend or intrude upon God's holiness and thus, at least for a period of time, nullify our priestly function. So in brief, the emphasis here is, as serving priests, we may experience, enjoy, and minister Christ as so many precious holy things. And in this priestly service, we need to become holy even as God is holy and maintain a sanctified position and respectfully handle the holy things that is the aspects of the all-inclusive Christ. This holiness is to keep God's people in a condition where they can continue to enjoy fellowship with him and have contact with him. That's really the point of holiness here, isn't it? God, in eternity past, as revealed in Ephesians 1.4, chose us to be holy. That was in eternity past. For eternity in the future, there will be the holy city, which is not a physical city, but a sign signifying God's people corporately as his counterpart. In the New Testament, we have Peter telling us, emphasizing, in fact, that we should be holy even as God is holy. Hebrews tells us that without holiness, no one will see the Lord in an experiential way. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. God is holy. Christ is holiness. We who are one with him based on his redemption and regeneration need to match him if we are to be in his presence, to be one with him, to serve him, to experience him, and to enjoy him. This needs to be emphasized as much as God himself in his holy word emphasizes it. Well, let's join Witness Lee with our first portion today. Everything that the people of God offer to God is a kind of a type of Christ whom God gives to us for our enjoyment. An unclean person being forbidden to eat the holy things unless he has bathed his flesh in water that he may not sin and die. This means if we are enjoying Christ, we should take good care of our situation. If we are unclean or defiled in any way, we must have a thorough deal, mainly 
by bathing ourselves, by washing ourselves in the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we surely will suffer certain amount of spiritual debts. Now, a purchased slave of a priest, and those who were born in a priest's house, being permitted to eat the holy things, signifying that the ones purchased by Christ with his precious blood and born of God in his house, these may enjoy Christ. Surely, as we got purchased by Christ, as we were born of God in his house, we are surely good to uh, enjoy Christ. It's quite meaningful. You think about it. All the things we couldn't see a bit in the New Testament, but here we can see all in details by being portrayed by type. I like this book. There's something of a warning here in uh, this portion he was going through in chapter 22, and that is if we allow ourselves to become defiled and dirty, the Lord's blood will cleanse us, but we will still suffer a degree of spiritual death, and he used that term. The remedy for such a condition, according to what we just heard here, is to bathe or to wash ourselves in the Holy Spirit. This is a little different than being washed by the blood of Jesus. Touch both of these and kind of help bring this into better focus for us. There are, in the New Testament, we may say two kinds of washing or cleansing. In Revelation, chapter 22, verse 14, it says, Blessed are they who wash their robes. They have the right to the tree of life. Interpreting Scripture by Scripture, we turn to Revelation, chapter 7, where we see that those that are clothed in white robes have made them white, by the washing in the blood of the Lamb. So this washing, we may say, is the cleansing of the blood of Jesus, mentioned in 1 John 1, the blood of Jesus cleansing us from every sin. But there is the second kind of washing related to defilement that may come from touching spiritual death, being mixed up with the world, whatever. For that kind of defilement, we need what Paul calls the washing of water in the Word. And that corresponds to the laver in the outer court where the priests had to wash before they could serve. This signifies the washing of the Holy Spirit. So the priests in the Old Testament and we in the New Testament should not be careless in our contacting the Lord to experience and enjoy Him. We need surely, constantly, the cleansing of the blood, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, that is continually cleansing us from every sin. But we also need to be keenly aware and sensitive to any kind of defilement and therefore Contact the Lord as the Spirit to be washed, to be bathed in the life of the Spirit so that we may be clean and fresh. And through these two washings, 
have the confidence, the assurance, and the boldness that we can handle Christ as the holy things, experience him, enjoy him, serve him, and minister him. Okay, as I said today, we're grabbing a little from chapter 22, and now we want to jump fast forward, if you will, to chapter 24. And here we see the priests within the holy place in the tabernacle. Two prominent items uh, jump out here in this portion, the golden lampstand and the bread of the Lord's presence. Some translations call it the showbread or the showbread table. And again, we've got pictures pointing us to real experiences of Christ. A couple of verses from this chapter. Then Jehovah spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel to bring you pure oil of beaten olives for the light, to make the lamps burn continually. He shall keep the lamps in order on the pure lampstand before Jehovah continually, and you shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake, and you shall set them in two rows, six in a row, on the pure gold table before Jehovah. A lot of care and detail being pointed out here on these two critical areas, the lampstand and the showbread table. Here's Witness Lee once more. To serve God as priests, we need two things, the divine light and divine food. Suppose there's no light in the tabernacle. There's no lamp in the tabernacle. It is hard for anyone to act there, to move there, and to serve God there. So, the first thing we need is the light. Falling light, we need food. We need the divine food as our supply that we could act, move, behave properly, and serve God with sufficient strength, with sufficient supply. We must take care of our being enlightened under the divine light. We must have the proper supply in our spirit of the bountiful supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ so we could have the adequate life supply daily. Then we'll be strengthened. Then we can walk, we can move properly, and we can serve God with sufficient strength under his divine light. Ron, as we pointed out, the two outstanding features today, really in the holy place in the tabernacle, were the lampstand made of gold, and then the table also made of gold that contained the bread of the Lord's presence. These are very clear indicators also of two main aspects of our Christian life, light and life. Let's talk about how these two always seem to go together and how they're joined in our experience. In the Bible, from Genesis all the way through to uh, Revelation at the end, light and life are very closely associated. And in our experience, they're really inseparable. So in Genesis, starting in verse 3 with the restoration and further creation, God says, let there be light. And this light opened the way for life to come forth. Then later, in Genesis 1, God formed what we would call more solid light, you know, the sun, the stars, 
And in the record, we read immediately after that, higher forms of life are manifested. So here we have the principle established clearly, how light and life go together. It's pointless to try to say which comes first, because on the one hand, light comes like it came to Saul of Tarsus. He saw light brighter than the sun. Then Christ says life entered into him. On the other hand, in John chapter 1, we read in verse 4, referring to Christ as the Word that is God who became flesh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And elsewhere in John, say chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In Ephesians 5, once we were darkness, not just in darkness, we were darkness, but now we have become light in the Lord. We mentioned John eight twelve, where the Lord says, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, he said of the disciples, you are the light of the world. But our being light depends upon our experience of Christ as life, and this life becomes the light in which we live and walk. So the point here is that light and life, both of which are God himself, are inseparable in our experience and are necessary for our enjoyment of Christ and our fellowship with him. Consider further 1 John chapter 1. We have the fellowship of life. The life was manifested. Then John speaks of God being light. Then if we walk in the light, we have fellowship, which is the flow of life. So the word makes it abundantly clear, emphatically clear, repeatedly making it clear that we need both light and life. This is portrayed in Leviticus chapter 24 with the lampstand, which has seven lamps illumining the holy place. And we have the bread of the presence or the showbread table. So here we have divine light shining from the lampstand. Then we also have the bread. Well, we know from John chapter 6 that the real bread is Christ. The Lord said, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. He referred to himself as the true bread, the bread that came down from heaven, as the bread of God. And we are to eat this bread. So the eating of the bread and the shining of the light upon us are inseparable. On the one hand, the more we partake of Christ as the bread of life, the divine food, the more this life becomes the light shining in our being and eventually shining through us and out from us. Yet, we may also say, the more we are under the shining of the divine light, the more life we receive, and the more we are directed to Christ as the bread of life. So our service 
as New Testament priests, and the New Testament clearly declares that we are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. That's First Peter 2. And Revelation 1 reveals that Christ has made us a kingdom, priest to God. And as priests, we need to touch and live in and experience and enjoy Christ as the reality of the divine life and the divine light. Although we are learners and we are gradually advancing in our experience, but we can testify that this is real. Light and life go together. We walk in the light as God is in the light. We're becoming light as Christ is the light. At the same time, we eat, digest, and assimilate Christ as the bread of life. Light, life. Christ is both. Praise him. Ron, we've got a little time left, and I'd like to use it this way. We've been talking about this matter of holiness, and you referred back at the beginning to the believers today maybe not considering holiness very much or as frequently as we ought. We come to a book like Leviticus, and we may even consider that uh, the Old Testament dispensation doesn't really apply to us as we're New Testament believers. But what does the New Testament say about the holiness of God's people? I mean, we, of course, realize that we're fallen and that we're short of God's holiness, but what is the requirement in the New Testament? The requirement is directly stated, be holy, be sanctified, okay? Be. This is in contrast to both the neglect of holiness and the misunderstanding due to religious notions concerning holiness, which is mainly, the view is, just some kind of outward adjustment to your demeanor or who knows what. But in the New Testament, we are to be separated to God. That's the first step, because he's holy. We're separated from what is common in the worldly sense to God who is holy. Now, we need to become holy. We pointed out Ephesians 1.4 tells us that God chose us in Christ to be holy. Peter affirms this when he says, quoting God, be holy even as I am holy. So this is a divine requirement that eventually will be fulfilled in the life of all believers sooner or later because we are destined to become the holy city, Jerusalem. Furthermore, we cannot have direct, we may say face-to-face fellowship with the Lord, the Holy One, without partaking of holiness. And without partaking of holiness, neither can we have genuine peace with other believers. The peace is the issue of being constituted with the divine holiness. Let's close with a verse that you and I were speaking about earlier in Hebrews chapter 12, along the same line. Pursue peace with all men and sanctification, without which no one will see the Lord. Of course, there's a direct relationship between the word sanctification and holiness. Maybe you could touch that. This is a strong exhortation. It indicates that if we ignore this matter of holiness, sanctification, we're really going to miss something regarding the Lord, aren't we? We will miss seeing the Lord experientially. 
in our Christian life today. The whole book of Hebrews has an emphasis that is to call us to come forward into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was where the God of holiness and glory himself dwells. To be in the Holy of Holies experientially is to behold God. That's the goal. Now, Paul tells us that this cannot be our experience without holiness. From God's side, he cannot manifest himself to us experientially if we are not in such a state. On our side, we're not going to have the confidence, the assurance, the boldness to come forward and to behold him. Yet God's desire and his provision through Christ's redemption and his bringing his redemptive blood into the heavenly holy of holies is that the way would be open for us to be directly in the Lord's presence, to behold him face to face, to experience not only his presence, but his dispensing, his infusion, his supplying us with himself. But without holiness, no one can see the Lord. And sooner or later, because we all will become the holy city, read Revelation 22, 4 and 5. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. This is our eternal destiny. So why delay it? Why not enter into the present reality of this, little by little, by experiencing the two washings of the blood and the Spirit, being constituted with the divine nature through God's organic salvation with its sanctification, so that gradually we become holy as God is holy, and then have the holiness with which we may see the Lord. Well, we've had a lot to uh, to consider and take with us from today's program. I'd like to encourage all of those listening to contact us about how you can receive either the printed messages or even find them online and read uh, free of charge at your leisure. Uh, if you'd like to reach us, our toll-free number is one eight eight eight. Life Study. That's 888-543-3788. We hope you'll join us for our next broadcast from the Life Study of Leviticus. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks very much for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. You can now enjoy titles by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee on your computer, tablet, or smartphone. Visit lsm.org ePublications to find all that Living Stream has available. We support Kindle, Nook, iSilo, and ePub formats, which means you can enjoy this ministry on all kinds of PC and Mac devices. Many of our publications are also available on Amazon.com and at iTunes. But to see everything we have to offer, visit our website at lsm.org slash ePublications. Thanks for listening today.